0: Another one of our sponsors I'm excited to tell you about is actually another podcast. It's called People of Product. And it's really about kind of highlighting the way people come together in innovative ways and create all the digital products that seem to be in every part of our lives. And what I think I like the most is that these guys are speaking from experience. You know, we had George Brooks on our show. And besides that, he's like a really genuine human being, just super knowledgeable at creating way more effective teams to get this kind of stuff done. And I really can't recommend it enough. You can find them anywhere that you get your podcasts and I recommend you checking out people of product. So longtime listeners of the show will probably remember Jay Davis, who's been on a number of times. Well, in addition to being a friend and a consulting client, I'm excited to say now that he's also a sponsor of this show. Last year, when I was spending a lot of time at his company's office, he started a new company called Pillow Cube, which is this awesome memory foam rectangle pillow that's tall enough for me to be a side sleeper but not have to have my head sag down like when I try to fold over my regular pillows. It's really pretty amazing and for any side sleepers like me, it's great so we don't have to wake up with shoulder pain. On top of that, it's been really fun for me to see him have so much success because it's been selling like crazy. Anyways, if you're a side sleeper, I highly recommend going to pillowcube.com and getting one for yourself.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So when we started out, the main thing that we were doing was doing all of the operational lift of pairing a student with the perfect instructor for them who could really inspire them and you know, we actually when when we founded the company, we actually looked a lot at Starbucks at a, as a model, which is basically like Starbucks does all the back engine to make a system and then the barista is kind of like that last mile that's like okay here's the friendly face who makes the coffee for me
0: welcome to innovation and leadership where i interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers elite special operations soldiers startup ceos who sold their companies for billions of dollars pro athletes hollywood filmmakers really as many different kinds of experts as i can The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, we've got Vivian Shen, a CEO of Juni Learning. Vivian, thanks for doing this.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Jess. Really excited to be here.
0: So talk about, well, tell us what Juni is and then let's talk about Ariel's the Zuckerbergs and Y Combinator and and all this stuff. (laughs)
1: Of course. So at Juni we're building a membership-driven learning platform for kids. And what that practically means is that we've built an experience for kids to not only learn from amazing instructors online in a live setting that really helps personalize them for their pace, but it also allows them to connect with other students and instructors around the world. So it's been really incredible to see the growth over the past few years. Obviously, this last year was particularly interesting to say the least, but it's definitely been an exciting experience to just meet so many amazing students who want to make the world a better place and it's been really a privilege to to help them get there
0: and what are the what are kind of the age groups that you serve and what what's taught?
1: yeah so primarily uh, in the eight to eighteen range, I would say any precocious student who is six or so years old, we've worked with them before as well. And you know, there's no age where it's too early or too late, I suppose, to learn how to code and and we primarily do computer science so coding instruction because that's my background as an engineer and my co-founder Ruby as well both of us were in engineering at Google and various other places so that's really where we came at it from you know the I think STEM education is something that is increasingly talked about a lot and so we had started there but we also actually offer math and English and we're rolling out a couple other ones as well later this year.
0: Yeah, well, congratulations on two hundred percent growth last year.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a crazy year, I would say the least for everybody.
0: Yeah, well, can you talk about? Let, let's start with Y combinator. You know, uh, it. For starters, anybody who isn't familiar with them, will you give just the briefest background and then tell us about your experience?
1: Of course, so Y Combinator is just, it's an incredible program, you know, started by uh, Paul Graham, Jessica Livingston, and a couple other folks out here. And they actually originated in the Boston area, which I don't think people talk about as often, but they're most well known for being one of, I mean, the most successful startup accelerator in Silicon Valley, you know, Stripe, Airbnb, a number of companies that you've heard of, DoorDash have all come out of there. And the main thing that I think is really incredible about Y Combinator is that there's this there's just infinite opportunity but also just this push to, to be the best. And you know it's a daunting challenge and I think it's it's worth it's worth calling out that they always push everybody to try to build the best and the biggest vision of their company that they possibly can. Like when we started Y Combinator, we were like, oh, yeah, let's let's like teach some kids and we'll we'll kind of figure this out. You know, we have like 40 kids right now. Maybe we'll get to 100 kids or a thousand kids. And wouldn't that be exciting? And we actually got the chance to talk to Paul Graham. And he was like, you should be teaching everybody everything. Why are you only trying to do this small thing? And we're like, that is very fair. We should we should do that. And so, I think it's always it's always great to have somebody who not only believes in you but also is like, let's get this show on the road. Let's make this really big.
0: About how many students have you guys helped at this point?
1: So, thousands at this point. It's been I mean, I would say the last year has has been a big driver of that growth. And then we have a few hundred instructors as well that we work with around the country.
0: Very cool. And for people who you know, don't really know what goes on in an accelerator, or they've been to maybe a a not so stellar accelerator <laughs> in their local town, and and they don't understand what's so special at Y Combinator. What what would you say?
1: I mean, the network is incredible, and the programming as well. Like they, I, I think one of the best parts about it is it's it's almost like a crash course in in school. Let's call it that. You know, it's I think it's ten weeks technically, ten week program. Every single week, it's just all about. How do you scale your company? How do you do things that I guess the famous motto is do things that don't scale. So we'll talk about everything from minutia of how to run, you know, great customer support calls through to how to fundraise, how to hire a team, all that good stuff as well. And, you know, they create a really great community as well. There's just a ton of folks are really willing to help and really unique and interesting backgrounds. And so I think those things coming together have been one of the main reasons why it's so successful. It's really about the people. And, you know, at the, at the end of the day, I would be remiss to say that the the fact that they get such reach with demo day and it's just such a well-known accelerator gets you as a founder who who does by combinator a lot of exposure that you might not have gotten before. And we definitely saw that as well.
0: Sure. It it is it's interesting. It's almost like a badge. Like, you know, think think about this is just my opinion. I'm sure there's people disagree. You know, you can get a degree from how many thousands of different schools in this country, but if yours says Stanford like yours or Harvard <laughs> or Wharton, maybe, all of a sudden you get you get some freebies for having that, right? Why, why Combinator is a little bit like that in the startup world, don't you think?
1: A hundred percent. Yeah. And you know, I think that's a really great point because, I, I mean, Stanford obviously is an amazing institution and I owe much of my life to being able to attend Stanford. And it kind of set me on a different trajectory. And each of those inflection points where you're able to to kind of leverage the brand and also the breadth and network that one of these um, brands is able to provide. That's, I think, a huge milestone for anyone's career. And for, for us at Juni in particular, you know, Ruby and I actually met at Stanford. And we met a lot of the people who ended up becoming our investors through Y Combinator or through, you know, I would say like Stanford connections to a certain extent as well. And that's a huge privilege that we've been able to have. I think it is. It's still quite tough to, you know, just show up with with nothing and make it here but it's not impossible and and we definitely got a leg up on that which was, you know, just really incredible for us, but definitely a privilege.
0: Yeah, how did you end up getting backed by Ariel Zuckerberg?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's another one of those things. So Ruby and Ariel actually worked together when Ruby was at Kleiner Perkins and Ariel was there at the time as well. And it's it's just a small community out here in San Francisco. Ariel is just an awesome person and a great supporter of Junie. Like I think personally, she she had invested because she wished that she had studied computer science when she was in undergrad which is ironic, uh, given that, you know, Mark Zuckerberg was coding at like 13 or whatever the case was, but she never got into it. And that was one of the things that we really connected with her on is that it's not always very accessible for people to learn computer science, because it's really daunting. And having a personal mentor who looks like you or who can provide you with uh, kind of a way to get over the roadblocks is really, really critical. And we do that for students. And I think that resonated a lot with her that, you know, there's ways to make a personal learning experience for people that's grounded in human connection. And so, yeah, it was it's just really cool. She was actually one of our first checks that we got. And so we were pretty, pretty excited to get that one confirmed. And then it, it definitely helped catalyze a lot of our other conversations after that.
0: Yeah. You think about how sometimes building businesses and fundraising, it is it is so much more than what's on the surface. You know, like, Will your product work? What have your revenues been? What's, you know, what's your traction, right? But like, there are all these other signals that don't, they don't necessarily show up exactly on the deck, or we're supposed to pretend they don't matter that much. Like, you know, uh, and yet they have, there's these details that are like, maybe get mentioned more in passing that have outsized, in my experience, outsized opinions, opinion changes in potential investors. Mm -hmm. Like you're going through a pitch, you're like, oh, sounds good. Sounds good. You name drop, you name drop this aspect of something that we're doing. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, you know, like, so this time around for our new fund, I tried, I hired somebody smarter than me. Okay. So our, (laughs) our, for our commercial real estate fund, the CEO, chief investment officer that we hired, you know, he, he used to be at a big $7 billion uh, fund out on the East Coast, and, and now he's came out to a $2 billion fund. He's currently at a $30 billion private. And and all of a sudden, it's like, as soon as I named up, he's the one who's going to be in charge of the decisions. All of a sudden, like, people like sit up in the show, oh, really? Now tell me, tell me more about this person. You know what I mean? And obviously, leadership is a big deal. But it's funny how that becomes less about, oh, which property are you buying next? as soon as, as soon as that part of the conversation starts to happen, you know, cause they're like, well, I'm sure he picked a good one. You get these assumptions <laughs> where really they should probably keep looking to, to double check. <laughs> you know what I mean?
1: No, I mean, that's a hundred percent right. Like, you know, anytime you meet a person, you probably come up with your impression of them in the first minute or so. And if you have something that immediately signals credibility or that, you know what you're doing, it, It goes a long way to smooth the rest of the 59 minute conversation, let's call it, right? Like, so much of that first impression is really critical. And so that's why, even, you know, one of the things that our investors do for us that I'm incredibly grateful for is when they send a two-sentence email to another investor that's just like, you should meet Vivian because of X, Y, Z reasons. She's amazing. The company has grown this much in this time, and they just hype us with just that two-sentence, and that goes a huge way, versus if I showed up cold to something, and I was just like, hello, this is who I am and what I do, and I didn't involve any of those names, it might be... It, we might get there but it's definitely going to take more than that first minute when that first impression is is made so yeah 100% agree on that and then you know it actually also to your point lets the conversation get more deep even than you would before cuz you've kind of gotten that initial credibility building out of the way and then you can actually get into the stuff that makes your business really special and so like when for your case like you can get into those properties and talk about why you're actually excited about that one and operate from that perspective versus trying to build that credibility for the first part of the call or the entire call, you kind of get that initial jump start already.
0: Right. It's interesting. You know, sometimes I feel like people get the wrong, I feel like fundraising CEOs or salespeople, they get the wrong message from the cliche our moms all told us of like, don't judge a book by its cover, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. yes, this is really great advice. Like, we should override that natural human instinct and genuinely try to connect with people. And it's just beneficial. It's kind. There's so many reasons that should happen. But the other side of that knowledge is like, if you're the one asking for the money, (laughs) you should expect them to judge you by your book cover. So what's your haircut? Do you have a neck tattoo? You know what I mean? Like if you are, if you are selling like a punk band show, like we're going to be the next Coachella, a neck tattoo is probably really helpful, right? Yeah. If you're Uh, trying to sell people, your dad's age, a, an income property, maybe not, you know what I mean? Right.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Actually a random question, but have you ever done cold calling?
0: Yeah. When I was like 21, (laughs) when I was 21, I worked for Steve Schiffman who wrote the book, the best, the best selling cold calling book of all time. It's called cold calling techniques that really worked 30 years. Right. And I made, I made a hundred calls a day and I got two yeses a day and that's, (laughs) that's what I did. And then I, my boss actually talked me into starting a sales training company with him and we were trying to grow up faster. So I used to get up at 5am and I'd make a hundred calls to the East coast before 3pm. I was in, this is out of my garage in Huntington Beach, California, little one bedroom duplex, oh right? <laughs> and then 50 calls, I try to get 50 calls in between three and five or 530 California time. So I get three yeses a day. That's I've a hundred,
1: since, That's I've, a 50% improvement. So that's amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've <laughs> since learned more effective ways. But it was a it was an experience.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's what we did at the beginning of Juni is I, I went out to my old middle school in Palo Alto, and I handed out flyers. And to your point, I definitely noticed that people were more interested in talking to me when I wore my Stanford sweatshirt than when I did it. And, you know, and let's be honest as well, like being a a female, it was a lot easier as well. Because I think if there's a guy coming up to families in a parking lot, that doesn't always go over well. But I was wearing my Stanford sweatshirt. I would go up to people, hand out a flyer, talk about how I would be teaching the first couple classes. And that went over really well. And then even with the cold calling, I think there is no better training than getting slammed by a bunch of no's on, on cold calling to just tell you what works and what doesn't and how important that first you know, 15 seconds is when somebody picks up and how you say hello. And that first impression is so critical. But yeah, every, I tried to, I try, you know, I I don't know if you've heard this thing about how DoorDash forces all of their employees to actually deliver for DoorDash. And for a little bit, that was kind of like the trial by fire at Juni is that you had to do a, a customer support call or a call with a new parent to explain the product, something like that, just to understand where people were coming from and what they cared about and what they didn't. And that was the best crash course that you could possibly do.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, and I felt like I was really in the deep end because I was selling sales training to training leaders. Yeah, yeah. And You ever heard that saying, don't sell a salesman? That was literally yeah. my job, yeah. right? <laughs> um, and uh, it, it's interesting because it would be great if people all have the time to find out who we are as a real person, but it's just not efficient. And so, you know, the humans, like the human species is hardwired for survival and efficiency is a big part of survival. And I think it's good for us to all try to override that. But I also think that it's silly for those of us asking for money to, to, you know, get into a place of victimhood of the, I can't believe they're not, you know, I can't believe that they've judged me guys covered. They don't even know me. It's like, I don't know, how about I just like be an adult, recognize how things are instead of how they should be and adapt to how they are, instead of whine about how they should be. And like, we have all got things going for us or against us. Do you know what I mean? Right? Like, so much, so much history, so many directions, like, you know, for and against us, right? You and I can get into very different rooms easier, right? You're, you've got grad, you've got graduate degrees at Stanford and Oxford and friends in, in Silicon Valley. And, you know, supporting female entrepreneurs is like, there's so many conferences that want you to come speak today. You know what I mean? Right. Because they're desperate for somebody who's actually getting something done. And I'm an art school dropout who does not have a previous (laughs) tech company success. Right. And then, and then there's plenty of directions. Like I can get in, I can get into different rooms because of my background, because of people who identify more with me. Right. And so this idea of like, let's be honest about how it is and double down on whatever my unfair advantage is. Like you calling Stanford alumni and saying, can I, can I possibly get your advice on what you do if you were me? is going to go yeah. over a lot better than if I call Stanford <laughs> alumni. Right. No,
1: 100%. Yeah, like when I do a cold email outreach, like that subject line, I name drop, right? I'm like looking for your uh, help on this and then in parentheses, like XYC, X Stanford, X Google, whatever the case is. And especially actually, I worked at McKinsey as well. And that one, it's like, Anytime you reach out to McKinsey alumni, they're incredibly helpful. But, you know, if they don't see that in the email line, why would they take the time? Because everyone's time is very precious. And I think also to our earlier point, if you want to get to the good stuff of having a really meaty conversation with somebody, getting all those things out of the way that are like, this is why you and I have something in common, or this is why it would be mutually beneficial for the two of us. That's been, I think, something that, you know, is is. The way the world works and an unfortunate reality that not everybody has the time or the mind space to meet every single person and now to your point like understand everything about them but it it you know for us too i think we don't talk a ton about what it's like to be a female founder etc but i definitely think i i had my resume up to the nines right like CS degree from Stanford like worked at McKinsey all these different things and it's still challenging and I think yeah. if you if you don't have all of those things too even just getting into the room is incredibly difficult and so I I feel very lucky that Ruby and I have that but there's obviously such a long way to go as well and the fact that we're both technical female founders as well is like almost unheard of I think last year the stats was like 15% of all VC funding went to women, went to a founding team with a woman in it. So not even all female founding teams. And so, you know, we're fighting the good fight here, but we, we use whatever, you know, whatever we need to do to get, get into the rooms that we need to get, because we know that's the way that we're going to build this company and be able to change a lot of lives. So it's all worth it.
0: Yeah. By the way, if you guys are doing another round, I do have some ideas for you. <laughs> you know, I keep needing awesome like impact fund managers who, who basically just don't want any proposals by people who look from look like me. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it, there, there's, there's, there's some opportunities for some folks we've had some meetings with. By the way, on LinkedIn, randomly, speaking of people who have kind of a cool background, I saw that we're both connected to Philip Fung. Do you know him very yes. well?
1: Yes. Oh my God. Of course. How do you know Phil?
0: Not. I don't know him that well, but Tony Shea name dropping here. Okay. Tony Shea invited (laughs) him and his partner invited me to this thing where you you went to like north las vegas for a week and they put you up and they're like they're trying to make north las vegas cool up by the zappos zappos headquarters and and it was this awesome thing we got to go like stay in these apartment buildings and go hang out with tony and see his apartment and stuff and there was almost like mini ted talks and stuff and anyways phil was in my cohort and i got to hear about like you know being an initial guy over at facebook and his his uh, Street Fighter 2 addiction which I really oh admire. Oh my
1: god, yeah. He's I mean, so we worked together at Operator which was the startup that I was at before founding Juni and yeah, he's just just a great guy. Like there's so many people in the valley who are just good people and he's 100% one of them. He taught me the I think I had never seen somebody be as hacky as him. Like he was yeah. the the quintessential like when you think of, you know, a Facebook hacker he was like that guy. Like I could tell why he would be early at Facebook because he was just like do whatever he could with his own two hands, you know? And so, yeah, he's, I mean, he's founded another company now at this point, more in the biotech space, I think, or health tech space. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, what a great thing for him, you know, his his, LinkedIn says engineer number 15 at Facebook, right? (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: Founder at kit.com. And yeah, it's interesting. Well, I'm I'm really fascinated the industry of online learning I I'm you know I'm sure it's partially like imposter syndrome about just being an art school dropout you know like that's why I went took like the private equity course at Harvard and I went took the entrepreneur and design school class Mm -hmm. at Stanford I'm sure that's like part of it but the other part is like it's generally like a high like I'm I'm a real audiobook nerd I do maybe three or four books a week and, and so then I want other people to have the high, like I really get this satisfaction out of other people achieving mastery at things as well. And I have watched so many different platforms over the years because I'm fascinated with this, like, hold on, I don't have to take a week off work and go to Harvard for the week. Like I could stay home and learn this stuff. Right. But it has all these challenges with it too. I'm interested when you look at the success you guys are having, what do you think you're doing that not everybody else is doing?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So when we started out, the main thing that we were doing was doing all of the operational lift of pairing a student with the perfect instructor for them who could really inspire them and you know, we actually when when we founded the company, we actually looked a lot at Starbucks at a, as a model, which is basically like Starbucks does all the back engine to make a system. And then the barista is kind of like that last mile. That's like, okay, here's the friendly face who makes the coffee for me. And you feel like it's customized. You feel like you're getting this amazing experience. And for us, we were like, okay, we want to replicate that experience, but with education, which is very hard, right? Because you've probably had a bunch of teachers over your life and they have been of varying quality and their curriculum has been of varying quality. Let's you know put that nicely but it's been some greats and some not so greats and what we wanted to make sure is that every experience that you have is great or is it's something that you know that that can change your life ideally right and that actually needs to be scalable and systematized which is not really something that that you think about and so we kind of looked at that model and we were like if we can make the curriculum really great and the platform really great that means that the instructor is just kind of the face that's delivering it having that human connection with you and they're the ones who can cheer you on help you get unstuck where you can and so that was actually very unique at the beginning obviously now there's a bunch of people who are trying to do something similar but that's where the kind of the curriculum and the platform have really come in so the way that we work with students is on a very personal level so in these one-on-one private classes but all of that's powered by our curriculum in computer science English and math and then our platform as well is meant to network students together and create a forum for them to really explore their interests, meet other students and work together on projects and challenges. And I think that's what's unique is the network of people that we can have on Juni is is second to none, right? It's like these kids who love programming for fun, or they love writing books. And that's just something that, that you don't get every day. And so if we're able to harness that energy, that's really special. I think to your point too, about how you, you can get a high from learning. I see that, you know, I see when they have these wins and they want to share their projects with each other. They want to get comments on it, feedback. That's incredibly important. And I actually look at it very much like fitness, too, you know, every time you have a great workout, there's kind of like this high. And it's also the community of people that are in the class with you together that that can get you there. And so that's kind of where we're heading to make that a scalable experience and yet still feel personalized. So it's definitely a tension, but it's it's working so far.
0: So yeah, what's what's an example of that?
1: Uh, the tension between the two a personalizing thing. no a success. Scaling.
0: A way that oh. you have been able to to scale with personalization.
1: Yeah. I mean just the number of students that we've been able to work with while still maintaining the NPS score that we have, I think the last that I checked, it was around eighty, which is just, you know, out of the park. And I, I don't think we're perfect. Like we definitely have to resolve some issues with individual students and parents as well. But for the most part, we're able to create this really repeatable, amazing experience for everyone. And everybody always tells us, you know, the customer support feedback that we get is like, I feel like you picked this person specifically for me. I don't even know where you found this instructor, but it's perfect. And, you know, my kid now wants to become an engineer, or they want to um, build this thing. And, and, you know, we have these these kids who previously were just playing video games who now have unlocked this new skill that's even better than playing video games, right? Because you get to build them and you get to customize them. And that's, I think, in you know, just from a metric standpoint, something that we've been able to scale to thousands of students, but still get that high quality um, feedback from folks. So that's been really incredible.
0: Yeah. You know, one of the learning platforms I've followed out here, I mean, like, you know, LinkedIn, Linda became LinkedIn Learning and you know, there's different ones out here. Plural site went public recently out of Utah, where we're at. One of the things that I've been interested in is is these people who they looked past did we deliver? Did we deliver the fire hose one direction? And to me, the fascinating things is is generating mastery and and how do you how do you help with the meaningful repetitions and the connection and the the ups and downs of being on a you know significant skills take significant efforts and we all have downtimes and easy to lose a learner at that point and never get them back can you tell me some about the the other direction inviting inviting things back from the students or helping them with the kind of routines that would create mastery
1: yeah that's a great point too cuz i think so math is one of those classic examples right where there's a certain amount of just practice that you need to get like there's no, no two ways about it, but you need to know long division. Well, nowadays, maybe you don't, but you need to know multiplication and kind of understand the foundations. And that takes practice before you can, like in our, actually in our advanced math classes, we do things like talk to kids about balance sheets, right? Or like if you were to, talk about revenue for a company, what are the components that make that up? How do you sum together different things? Like if you ran a lemonade stand, that kind of thing. And it takes a certain level of foundational knowledge, but then building towards something greater, I think, is is the balance. And we see that in computer science as well. And so what's nice about CS in particular is that everything can be really project-based, but still on the path to mastery. So kids get these quick wins where they have these little bite-sized projects that they can share out to the world and get positive reinforcement on, and then kind of take that next step and start building bigger and bigger projects. Um, but that's one of the things that we keyed in on pretty early is that kids want to see, you know, I think there's a, like a lot of learning platforms that do things like, okay, you get a badge after you do 50 sessions or whatever the case is, but that's not always the best output. Like that's just one thing, right? But that just meant that you showed up to class 50 times. And so for us, it's it's kind of like, what is your portfolio? What's a project bank that you've put together? Let's call it a LinkedIn meets GitHub and it's your portfolio, what would you want that to look like? And I think that's really inspiring for kids. They want to build this thing where they get followers, they get to share these projects with other people and have something kind of tangible that's theirs that they created. And so that's been another, I think, big product piece for us is getting towards mastery that's shown in these projects. And that's something that's also exciting for a kid to want to share with their friends, which is which is cool. Yeah,
0: it's funny is I think it's, I think that's discounted. I don't think I think about that often of the social payoffs of learning. Right. Yep. And yeah, it's so powerful. You think about just how we're hardwired as humans. Right. And that, you know, it's, it, you know, the caveman version of ourselves on the right, like group acceptance is really key for survival. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. And, and, and plus there is like, how much happiness is there in progression? But if you don't, if you can't verify you've progressed, you don't, you don't experience this as much. Right. And so, sometimes that can be checking something off the list and sometimes that can be someone else recognizing it for you, right?
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, we so that we actually launched this feature in Juni called Clubs about two weeks ago now. And it's just incredible because these kids have created clubs around their passion areas. So one of them is like the drawing club. And we don't teach drawing or anything like that, but naturally there's a lot of kids who love drawing and they actually have figured out a way to take photos of their paper drawings, put them into a Google Doc, and then link the Google Doc in the club so that other people can see it. And then they all just spam each other with like positive reinforcement on how cool the other kid's drawing is, which is crazy. And that's one of those things where I didn't even think that the product would be used that way. That they would figure out so quickly how to make things work. Because at the time that we released clubs, we hadn't, we didn't have an image upload feature yet, and so they had kind of hacked this like backdoor way to get this link of a photo in there. But then, you know, I think the student who shared the photo was like, "Oh yeah, I'll definitely do more of these. Thanks so much for." sharing the feedback and like they talked about the kinds of colored pencils that they used with each other and that kind of stuff it it builds you know because then you start thinking as a kid you're like oh i'm good at this or this is my thing and i can go really far with that and you just need that one little inertia to start you going that you know like i'm sure that you've had an instructor or a teacher in your life who said you are great at this and you should continue doing it. And just giving you that little push for for it to be worthwhile, I think is really critical. And we don't talk about that enough either as well.
0: You know, what's funny is my, mine is in art. I actually uh, yeah. left for grade 12. And, and because of that, I left for grade 12 and went to a magnet school for art and helped me get in as an illustration major at the art school that I went to for before becoming an art school dropout. But yeah, it was, it was like, I mean, it was personally satisfying Then it also had those, that social reinforcement and became kind of a loop. And, you know, I just, I stuck with it, you know, from, from being a younger kid, I just stuck with it, which naturally, you know, got in enough meaningful repetitions over time and then turned into things like that. And it's funny like this, so this special school where kids come from all over to, to go to this art high school, basically. Right. When I won the, like, like the artist of the year for the whole, for the whole magnet school too, it was like it it really like it became part of my identity almost and that yeah. could be that could be bad but it ended up being good in a way of like pushing me to pay the price because then when i went to real art school and our professors from, were from art center which nobody else probably knows who the Art center is but it's like the harvard of commercial art okay like mm. it's like 30 grand it's like 30 grand a year to go <laughs> and this is 20 year, 20 years ago it was 30 grand a year <laughs> Okay. Yeah, and wow. it's really, really hard. And, but if you, if you can graduate, you're like guaranteed a six figure income, which how many artists can say that? Like you, like the art center mafia will get you a job in Hollywood period, mm. you know, if you can manage to graduate. Yeah. So it's like this elite thing. Well, our art school that I went to was had like half dozen art center grads in it. They were going to weed you out. Like they're like, Hey, mm. listen, we see no benefit in, cause it wasn't just an art school. It was the art department of a school. Right. They're like we see no we see no uh, advantage in letting you kids delude yourselves. So we're gonna we're gonna weed you out. Like the basic drawing class for sure. Many kids many kids would cry in class in their first semester of college. It like it was like like I'm I'm slightly exaggerating here, but it's kind of like Navy Seal Hell Week. Like Mm. they want in those first six. Everybody thinks about they hear about the Navy Seals in the movies and they think those first six months are like the hard part, right? It's like, no, they put, I, so I used to teach leadership classes to Naval Special Warfare and I used to go to Coronado where they do that. Okay. Mm. That first six months is just to decide who are we going to invest in for another two years? Like you're not actually learning how to be like this elite guy who's going to rescue hostage reporters from ISIS that, right? This is like, should we even invest in you? Well, It's funny because I don't think, had I not had those reinforcements over time, I don't think, I don't know if I would have lasted the like brutal, like I was used to being a big fish in a small pond and I went Mm -hmm. and all the kids had been the big fish in their small ponds. And all of a sudden I was, all of a sudden I wasn't any kind of special artist. In fact, I was a newbie, right? And that's a little bit of a shock to the ego. Plus it's like brutally hard. I don't, anyways, I don't know that it would have gone the way it did.
1: Yeah, it's a balance, right? Because I think I I was raised by a pretty, I would call it like traditional Asian parents who were pretty high like the standards. the tiger mom thing? What are we talking yeah, about here? For sure, like pretty high standards. Like I remember so clearly I got a C minus on a math test because I was just being kind of an idiot. And my mom came to where I was hanging out with my friends. I think it was like at a bowling alley, which is a throwback. But, and she came and like frog marched me out and was like, this report card came home with a C minus. And I actually wanted to drop, I was in honors math, I think. And I wanted to drop down to regular math because I was like, it's not worth it. This is, like, I want to hang out with my friends. I don't want to be doing math. What is this? And my dad sat me down and did my entire math textbook. He forced me to do my entire math textbook from front to back. And this was like a month into the school year. And, (laughs) and so I, I think I don't necessarily condone that, but math was easy for me for the rest of high school. Right. And this was like very formative high school, you know, the, the very beginning when you decide if you have the grit to continue or not. And I was totally willing to give up. And my parents like, you can't, that is not something that, that you want to do here. And I, I thank them for it now, but at the time it was really tough. And I, I think when you're young, you, you do need some of that positive and call it negative reinforcement. Some of that kind of like someone believing in you that you can be better and, you know, pushing you because to your point too, like not everyone's cut out for everything. Right. And so that, that kind of is where you separate people out too, is if they have the grit to want to pursue something, then they should, but you know. It, it sometimes needs a push. So yeah, definitely yeah. hear where you're coming from. Came from my own. Came from the top for me. <laughs> not not from yeah. school. <laughs>
0: yeah, this is a so this is a fascinating conversation to me. This isn't where I thought we'd go today, but I like it. So <laughs> I think about this idea of like the difference between will and persistence on one side, like. If it's like a balance beam, like falling off one side is not trying hard enough, not doing the things to engineer belief, not looking for mentors, not looking for reasons to stick with it, not having the grit. Right. And then falling off the other side is like not being honest about efficient uses of time. Like I, I love the movie, Rudy, you know, that football movie. Right? I have
1: heard of it, but I have not watched it. But I'll okay. understand. Well, for
0: anybody else who hasn't watched it, it's about the true story of this kid. I want to say in the 1950s, maybe early 1960s, who was just a small runt of a kid and was not did not look like a football player, and out of just like sheer will and determination of giving like 150, he 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 makes it into this school, so he can get into that school, so he can get so he can work on this for Notre Dame, and then he ends up getting on the practice squad and four years of school later of like just killing it in practice and never playing a game he finally gets to play one play in one game and that was his life goal and it's extremely rewarding for him and his family and it's this this whole idea of like you know enough persistence can overcome almost anything right I think there's some great messages in it but there's also this other thought of like is that the best use of his time in life you know what I mean this 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 skill that isn't going anywhere and like I don't know that we should be judgmental. Like that's what he wanted. And it actually turned into a great speaking career for him and writing books and stuff for the rest of his life. Turned out great for him. Okay. But I think about like, for me, you know, maybe it's an arrogance. I don't know. I like to think I could be good at anything. Right. And then when it comes to business, it's like, Oh no, I'm like, I have paid the price to learn how to land big accounts. I can make connections. I can, I can solve problems when there's a crisis and like, there's a joke in my company. Like I'm the most likely guy to get a multi-million dollar contract and then forget to send the invoice. So we get paid, you know, like, <laughs> like when it comes to like organization and like sitting still and doing the same thing. Oh, day, in, day over day in, day out. Like I can't, I have very low pain tolerance for monotony. And like, there are $10 an hour employees that are genuinely significantly better at me, better than me at a bunch of tasks. Like it's almost been like a thing of shame for me like here I am this like CEO i've I've had some large wins in life at different points and I can't do ten an hour work like what's wrong with me you know and yeah. and and yet when I'm honest like it's kind of like who cares what's wrong with me I should be I should be doubling down on Those few things that I can do that I was born for and hiring the rest, recruiting the rest, even if you have to cut equity and for somebody to do the $10 an hour work, you know?
1: Yeah, I think that was actually one of the biggest learnings for me as well was that I'm not, it doesn't, it is strictly the worst use of my time to try to be the expert at everything. Right. And if you can hire people who are constantly smarter than you or better than you at different ways, that is the only way that the company is going to be able to grow. And I think that took a lot of me changing how I look at the world, which is like, I can solve every problem with my own two hands and taking a step back and saying, no, like, that's not what I'm uniquely here to do. And as a, as a company, you know, we're not going to do well if, if, me and anybody else who is like me is trying to do things like that. And so I think that's a big learning. And then to your point too, about kind of like one of the things we always talk about at Juni is helping students discover and pursue their passions. And I think both of those are so important because- there's an early part of your life where you want to be exposed to multiple things, right? Like maybe instead of just doing art magnet school, like maybe you had also gone to school that also did programming or did like a ton of different other things. And then you figured out what you were excited about dabbling in more, and then started pursuing multiple paths. And I think that the challenge with today's society is that you do you do have to specialize if you want to become excellent at something. That's I guess that's how anything goes. But it's, you know, I think there's times in your lives where you can reinvent yourselves a lot, but that kind of like 18 to 30 year old range is super critical when you're building your career. Like the first couple things that you do really set the tone for the rest of your career. And if you can get, you know, financial independence early on, or if you can get those brands early on that signal that kind of building momentum, then that that buys you a little bit more time. But I think it is tough because you know, the generalist way that a lot of people do do college where they they learn something super general in college, but then it's not as applicable for a skill after that. I think that's been, you know, obviously we've seen, it's been really tough over the last few years. And I think that's, that's the really hard balance is how do you let people discover things that they're really excited about, but then be able to translate that some into something more specialized that they become the most excellent person at, which is just, yeah, it's, it's going to be a constant battle, but it requires a lot of grit and love passion for something too right because I'm sure that when you were going through art school you were still very passionate about it until you weren't (laughs) at a certain point but like it it does have to be resilience and grit but then also something that you you think is worth doing for whatever reason
0: yeah for sure you know i'm interested in this learning experience when you think about growing growing your firm from you know your first dozen your first dozen students to, to thousands right can you tell us about some of the learnings like you know it sounds like you're willing to do things that didn't scale at first go handle <laughs> flyers like do whatever it takes and then you graduate to this level Can you tell us about a couple of like key learnings of like, we were trying different things and then this one took. So we doubled down on that and then we discovered this and this one took.
1: Yeah. You know, one of the things this, you probably know much more about this than I do, but I, I did not know very much about marketing and branding before Junie and That's actually been really interesting for me to learn about personally, but also as a company. So for the first, I would call it like three years or so of Juni, 2017 to 2020, we were a very homegrown brand. Like we pretty much did whatever we could on our own. My co-founder and I took the photos for our website with like an iPhone X at the time. And we really tried to make it be as scrappy as possible because we were always just like, it's... It makes no sense to spend fifty thousand dollars on a photo shoot or whatever the case is. And and that that didn't scale, right? Because at a certain point our materials looked like a company that was much smaller than we actually were, or they were doing a disservice to the impact that we were actually able to have. But we had been so like tight fisted with how we thought about our runway and how we thought about how we thought about how we used our funds that we had let that fall to the wayside. And I think that was Really interesting because over the last year, one of our, the, the company, sorry, the firm that ran our, that led our series A forerunner, they're in the business of building great brands with companies. And so I've just learned a lot from them on how building a great brand is actually strictly a revenue driver. And it's more important, than in a lot of ways than performance marketing, which is kind of just like dollars in and dollars out. But if you don't have a great brand, then your performance marketing also suffers and and vice versa. If you have a great brand, it can amplify performance. And that was one of the things where I think for a long time, I'd taken a very engineering mindset about it, which is like, oh, we can kind of like hack our way into this. Or like one photo is just as good as another photo if we just A-B test things. And that is not the case. And that was definitely something that has been humbling to, to learn about because I'm starting from not not a, a ton of knowledge in that space, but been really exciting. That has been a big change for us over the last year. Yeah.
0: What's another one? Like you know, we used to do social media, but then we realized email is better. Or we used to do
1: Yeah, let's see. <laughs> There's so many things. I think the so tactically as well, customer support is very challenging to do well. There's just, you know, to go from, I mean, when we were originally doing customer support, we ran everything out of one Gmail inbox and my co-founder and I both had the password for it. And we would just log in on other. And then at a certain point, Gmail started locking us out because there were too many different Browsers trying to log into that one account. And so we had to scale that. We ended up moving onto Zendesk and building out a bunch of, you know, internal tooling for that. But that was another one of those things where we tried as long as possible to do something that didn't scale, which was as much as possible. My co-founder and I were trying to handle every email that was related to a new account or to an existing account, which was Unscalable, but we could add that personal touch to everything, and that I think made our first hundred to even five hundred customers love us. But at a certain point, we're like, "Oh my gosh, if I'm spending four hours a day replying to customer support emails, that's probably not the greatest thing to do." So you have to take all of that with a grain of salt. Like, you know, in that Amazon book, like I was reading about how Jeff Bezos used to do that as well, and like personally reply to all of his emails. And we still do that in a lot of cases of you know, unique circumstances, students with learning differences, whatever the case is, we do still make it happen. But it's definitely one of those things where we're not able to scale ourselves or scale the company doing things like that as well. So it's been, that was a tough one because it was it was a lot of fun to run those too.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Well, if people want to, you know, besides junilearning.com or connecting with you on, on social or, you know, Twitter or LinkedIn, anything you want to leave us with today?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, Building Junie has been the hardest and most rewarding thing I've done in my life. And if anybody is thinking of starting something that sounds a little bit crazy or kooky, you know, it's it's not. And you have to, you have to think about the fact that you can impact an individual person's life. And that's just as important as scaling the company to a, a huge size. And I think that's what keeps us going every day is, you know, when we get a student project submission or when we get some customer love of somebody who says that, you know, one of our instructors changed their student's life that makes it all worth it. And so I think you should, if you are thinking about starting something, build something that you find to be personally rewarding, because that's the only way that you get through it because it's a lot of ups and downs. But at the end of the day, if you have those kinds of wins, then then it's worth it.
0: Yeah. You know, maybe a final question is just thinking about the the tough times. What's What's either something you tell yourself or a book or a resource or What's a, How do you help yourself when, yeah. when things get tough?
1: So practically, I actually love driving because California is beautiful. And I'm lucky enough to live in what I think is the most beautiful city in California, which is San Francisco. And I'll just drive down the coast, listen to some good music and just think about things if it's been a long day. I think practically as well, you know, having a support network of other founders who are in it just as much as you are is is incredibly critical. My co-founder, like the two of us, I don't we couldn't get it through it without each other and we also have coaches as well and and our investors and supporters have been incredibly helpful. And what I said before, like I'll just go through and look at some of the projects that were made today or some of the love that we got today. And now that we have clubs too, like I can go in there and see the kids interacting with each other. And that's, that's all worth it. And I I think that's what keeps a lot of founders that I know going is, is like when one account sends them an email and says, this has changed my life or whatever the case is, then, then it's worth it. So that's how we keep going.
0: I love it. Well, thanks for doing this. This has been fun.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Jess.